This is the beginning of our Merry Christmas series. We have three talks on Merry Christmas, and then I'll do a, a New Year's talk, and then we'll get back into 1 John. So that's just to bring you up to speed. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God, the hope of Christmas. We're going to read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, talking about the hope of Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The hope of Christmas. I'll tell you, when Jesus came into the world, he gave us hope. Hope. Yes, the hope of Christmas is Jesus, folks. We're going to talk about the hope of Joseph. We're going to talk about the hope of humanity. We're going to talk about the hope of Mary and the hope that Christianity brings to each one of us as individuals, personally, that Jesus came into this world. Now, there's interesting views about Christmas, and from a child's perspective, we're going to see three things, that the, the way that child, children view Christmas. There's some confusion about the virgin birth. We're going to talk about wise men, and then we're going to talk about a manger scene. The first one is a 10-year-old girl. She says this, a 10-year-old who was becoming quite knowledgeable about the Bible because of her grandmother, grandmother's inputs, her grandmother's teaching, asked her grandmother this question, which virgin was the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? <laughs> Wasn't that good? I, I like that. How about this one? The little boy and the three wise men. There was an art contest held in a local school one Christmas season a few years ago in East Texas. One of the prize winners was a picture drawn by a nine-year-old boy showing three men offering gifts to the baby Jesus in his manger. This was not unusual. This is very typical. What was unusual is this. What made the picture unique is how the three gift presenters arrived. There was a fire truck on the side of the picture. So this stimulated the principal. The principal asked the boy this question. Why the fire truck? And in his heavy East Texas accent, he quickly replied, Well, the Bible says the wise men came from afar. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. I laugh at my own stuff, but anyway. And then finally, you get to hear the last one, the, the crescendo moment. Yes. The small boy in the manger scene. A small boy was writing a letter to God about Christmas presents he badly wanted. I've been good for six months. Then he thought about this for a moment and reflected, it hasn't been six months, maybe it's three months. So he changed the letter to three months. After a pause, that was, that was crossed out, and he put two weeks. There was another pause that 
And he crossed that out too. And he got out from his table, went over to the nativity scene, and had the figures that had the figures of Mary and Joseph. He picked up the figure of Mary, wrapped it gently in a cloth, put it in the drawer in his room. Then he went back to his writing and stated, Dear God, if you want to ever see your mother again. <laughs> hey, the kid's perspective of Christmas. These are cute stories, aren't they? Yeah, cute stories. All, hey, we all need hope. We all need hope. These, these people had hope, didn't they? You know what hope is? The earnest expectation that something good is going to happen. Don't you need that? You need a hope, an infiltration of hope. The birth of Christ brings hope to all of humanity, folks. Uh, some of these, uh, some of these uh, this portions of this I've excerpted from Answers in Genesis, just for full disclosure, but not a whole lot of it. Basically the title and a few other things. But there is a basic premise uh, for Christianity. The hope of Christmas is centered on Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In December, we celebrate this season. Uh, and what is Christmas? What do we celebrate Christmas for? Well, it's an event that occurred 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And remember, that was a miracle because it was prophesied by the, by the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. There was a problem. Mary and Joseph had to get, down, get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which is a 70-mile journey with a fully pregnant wife. Now try a 70-mile trip through the hill, over hill, over dale, trying to make it down to Bethlehem. Not such an easy trip. Not such an easy trip. Christmas commemorates the birth of the baby Jesus, and it's recorded in the New Testament. The trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, it was recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We'll do that another time. But I want you to think about this. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God incarnate, God with us. The God of hope came to earth to give us hope. 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 Never forget that. God has come to give us hope in the most difficult of situations, hope. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God incarnate. It simply means God in human form. And he tabernacled with us. That means he dwelt among us. Now, why did he do that? He did that to save us from our sins and allow us to have a relationship with Father, to live with him forever. Now, we want to start out with, I want to start out with the hope that was given to Joseph. Now, when you think about Joseph and you think about the Virgin Mary and you think about the trauma that came into Joseph's life when he found that his bride or his betrothed, was pregnant. This had to be a shock to him. The hope of Joseph. Why did Joseph need hope? Because Mary is betrothed. Now remember, betrothal in the Hebrew culture is, is an engagement, but it's just like a marriage contract that has been signed. And this is very serious. In order to break the betrothal, there has to be a, a decree of divorce, a written decree of divorce given. So it's very serious. It's not like today when people get engaged and not engaged and that sort of thing in our culture. This was a very serious commitment. And she was pregnant. Now, I want you to think about this pregnancy and the shame that this brought to Mary and Joseph, the public disgrace, the family disgrace, which isn't even mentioned. And then Joseph having to understand what in the world has happened here. And then could you imagine what Joseph must have been thinking? Now, Nazareth was a military town. 
Actually, there's about 150 people in Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was, it was not upscale. It was the, like the pit of Israel. And can you think about Joseph thinking, well, did a Roman soldier do this or some Roman uh, aristocrat or, or, or somebody in charge do this? What a scandal. But then Joseph gets some clarification. In Matthew 1.19, Joseph, being, being such a, an upright person, says this. The scripture says this. A just man, Joseph was a just man, was minded to put her away secretly, to give her a written divorce secretly, not to embarrass her, to dissolve the betrothal. Picture the heart of Joseph and the darkness at this hour when he finds this out, that his betrothed is pregnant. And then the God of hope enters the scene with a miracle. And you know the story. An angel comes and speaks to, to Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he says this, the angel. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want to remind you that the name Jesus, it means the Lord is salvation. Christ, he is the Messiah, the anointed one that is sent by God to save the people of the earth from their sins. Whoever believes in him can have eternal life and live with God forever. Joseph now knows that this is something that God has orchestrated. Joseph goes to Mary, and I think they had a conversation, something like this. Mary, I believe you. And Mary, being a great wife, said this, I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. You knew I was right. I told you. Uh-huh. That's what happens. Now, what does the word Christmas mean? Now, I want to give you something of the etymology, the root of, of the word. Now, the, the word dates back to about 1038. And, of course, Christ is Christ. Christ must, M-A-S. It's talking about either the Catholic Mass, because it, in the 1000s, all the church was was a Catholic church, or it can mean something a little bit different. So it could mean, it can mean this. It's, the Mass can mean marching orders. The marching orders to go into the world and live and speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Christmas becomes a remembrance of the time when the Son of God was given his marching orders into the world. Now, what was Jesus' marching orders? Well, it was to do the will of the Father, we see in John 6, 38. And I'll tell you, the will of the Father for the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was to do this. He was to live like one of us. He was to experience this thing called life on earth like one of us. You know, Jesus fell. Jesus scraped his knee. Jesus wasn't liked by his brothers. How would you like his to be the most perfect person in the world, and the rest of the family looks at you and goes, oh, not Jesus again. Look, he's doing everything right again. I'm getting yelled at all the time. Can you imagine Jude and James and those guys? I mean, they're all disturbed because he's perfect, and they're not. And this actually is one of the people that you can say, you're always perfect. And Jesus could say, well, I, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm perfect. But he came to do the will of He lived like one of us. He was tempted like one of us. And listen to this, he died for us. The one that came into the world lived like us, experienced this, and died for us. Jesus is the hope given to humanity. He is the light of the world that came into the darkness of this world. The God of hope sends the light into this dark world. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says this, In him was life. 
always remember, God is a life giver. He is a life giver. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness of this world. Anybody without Christ is in darkness, according to the Scripture. You, we need a Savior. We need the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. The world system did not want Jesus. They actually, Jewish people rejected him. Most people reject him today. But he is there. He is a shining light. He says, I am here. Salvation is in me. Now, how did Jesus get his marching orders? Well, God's love gift of hope was determined in eternity past. Before there was ever a world that came into existence, in eternity past, in the Godhead, God knew that, that man would, would, would choose to sin and need a Savior. God knew this. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. He's not shocked by what people do. He already sees what you have done from the beginning to the end of your life. The Godhead, of which Jesus is part of, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, in eternity past, determined that the Son would die, that God himself would die for the sins of the world, to save mankind. Remember, Adam's sin is credited to every human. It's imputed, credited to every human being. We all have sin because of Adam. He was our representative. And now every human is credited with sin. Every, every human needs a sin bearer. Someone will take the sin curse from mankind. Jesus is the only hope that mankind has to eradicate sin. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. It would do it for a time. But Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus is the only one who can take away mankind's sin curse. Acts 4.12 says this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There is no world religion that will get you there. There is no good works that will get you there. It's only through Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Does Jesus always tell the truth? The answer is, yes, he does. You can trust him. You can trust him. He will tell you the truth. It was before the foundations of the world that the Godhead determined that the Son would die. Jesus made the decision in conjunction with the others. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're all one unity. They're all thinking in conjunction together. They don't have separate thoughts. They're unity, a, a, a triune unity. So it was determined that he would die. 1 Peter 1.20 says this, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last time for your sake. He did it for us. He did it for you. That's an amazing thing. To come from heaven as God, to live like us, it would be like us volunteering to be a cockroach. It would be like us volunteering to be an amoeba. I think I'll go die for all the amoebas. No, this is an amazing thing that God did. In Revelation 13.8, we read this, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, and it's interesting, whose names have not been written in the book of life. This is even the unsaved people, book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This plan was before humanity even came into existence. And finally, I want you to remember this. The plan was implemented at the perfect time. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we read these words, But when the fullness of time had come, God 
sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Don't let this escape you. The adoption is a huge thing. When you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you are adopted into the family of God. And you know what that means? You have full rights and privileges as the original son. We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. It's, scripture says this in Romans 8, 17. We are children, then we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. What Jesus has by divine right, we inherit because of Jesus' work on the cross for us. What a deal. This is huge. This is huge. God's plan to save the world from sin was determined in eternity past, prior to the foundations of the world being set, set, and implemented at the perfect time. More on that in just a second. Folks, that's omniscience. That is an all-knowing God. That is an omnipotent God, all-powerful God, invading earth, invading earth with a plan to save humanity from their sins. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. It's an amazing love story. This is the hope of humanity. God's love for us, folks, is palpable. Is palpable. The hope we have is immeasurable because of Jesus coming to this earth to be like us and to die for us. Now listen, Christ could have marched into this world with an angelic army. The angels could have come like a missile to earth and said, I'm establishing my kingdom. But no, he chose to come like one of us, a helpless child, just like us. And he died a helpless man for our sins, just like we will all die one day. This will happen. Everyone in this room will pass one day unless Jesus comes for us. Every one of us will. We'll all go through that portal. The Word was made flesh in John 1.14. He dwelt among us, and he was torn for us. Jesus Christ, his flesh was torn on the cross. All of God's wrath was poured out on his son that we deserve. That's the whole message of the substitutionary atonement. This baby came for a purpose, for us to come to know him and to worship him and to come into the family of God. And he took everything for us. All of the wrath of God was poured out on his son. If you believe this, he was torn for us. It becomes personal. He was torn for you. Put your name in there. Just put your name in there. Jesus, folks, is the hope of humanity. He is. He is the only hope we have. Look what's happening in our world around us. There is no hope outside of him. And did you know this? Just an interesting little anecdotal note here. When mankind's hope arrived, when Jesus arrived, even Earth's dating system was changed. You know that we had the ADBC dating system because of Jesus Christ. Two divisions, A.D., Anno Domini, means it's Latin for the, in the year of the Lord. And B.C. is before Christ. But I want to submit to you that this is being challenged today. And more and more people don't want to submit to the Lord. They don't like the, the Anno Domini. They don't like that. They don't like that because they don't want any submission to the, any mention of the Lord. He's not our Lord. So what they want to do is change it to the common era, C.E., and more and more throughout the world you are seeing that. Folks, this is a direct attack on Christianity and how a culture can so quickly change. So quickly change. And I'll tell you, it isn't a culture that changes, but how an individual life so, can so quickly change. 
and can spiral down. Things are changing, folks. Times are changing. You are living in, and probably in the history of our nation, you are seeing the most change of any group that's ever lived. Any group that has ever lived, you are experiencing this. Christmas is changing, but I would suggest to you the tension, the tension of Christmas is not changing. Remember, most people have a view of Christmas if it's all about me. How much stuff am I going to get? You watch the kids open the stuff on Christmas. It gets, first of all, it's torn into, and then, oh, I have that, what's next? I have that, oh, what's next? And that, that's the Christmas. That's what it's evolved into, all about me. Now, there's a tension. You go to the mall, there's a tension. Every place you go, people are gathered around. It, it's, it's like the anthill has been disturbed, and we're all going to get our stuff, to get stuff for people. Someone wrote a poem about this. His name was Tony Cook and David, two guys, David Beebe, Tony Cook, wrote this. Twas the fight before Christmas. And they wrote a poem about it that I'd like to share with you. See if you can identify with this poem. Twas the fight before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was peaceful, not even my spouse. The bills were strung out on the table with dread in hopes that our checkbook would not be in the red. Good luck on that one. The children were fussing and throwing a fit when Billy came screaming and cried, I've been bit. And Mama with her skillet and I with the remote, she said, you change one more channel and I'll grab your throat. <laughs> Anybody ever hear that one before? Yes. When on the TV there rose such a clatter, I sat up on the couch to see what was the matter. When what to my wondering eyes did appear? The cable was out. It was my worst fear. The Cowboys, the Celtics, the Raiders, the Knicks, without the sports channel, I'd soon need a fix. <laughs> and then in the midst of my grieving sorrow, I remembered the times I had promised tomorrow. Not now, my children, but at some soon time, Dad will play with you, and things will be fine. Now, under the conviction, I looked at my wife. Where was my kindness? Why all the strife? My heart quickly softened. I now saw my task. Some love and attention was all they asked. I gathered my family and called them by name. I told them with God's help, I'd not be the same. Isn't that something? We'll keep, Christmas, we'll keep Christ in Christmas and honor his plan. No more fights before Christmas. On that we will stand. hope you take that. My wife gladly nodded. She knew I was right. It was the fight before Christmas, but God's love had come through. And just like he does, he made all things new. The God of hope at Christmas. And listen, like Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. You know, you can change the script. You can take it off all the materialism and put it right onto the Son who came here to die for us. That's what we can do. That's what we can do. The God of hope is for you, folks. The God of hope in Christmas. That's what we're talking about. Now, there's, I want you to think about the hope of Christmas in our culture, thinking about our culture and Christmas. There's a sadness that has crept into the season. There is a sadness that has crept into it. There's a strategy to remove Christ from Christmas, a, de a, de a definitive strategy to take him out of Christmas, removing Christ. In the Western culture today, nativity scenes are no longer displayed on public property. It's no longer just, it's out of the government, it's out of schools. Christianity is becoming more and more out of the mainstream. 
out of the workplace, out of education, out of the public eye. Christmas carols used to be sung in the public, used to be sung in government buildings, used to be sung in schools. We would get up and have Christmas carols all through the schools. Oh, no, not now. That's offensive. Your Jesus is offensive. That is what has happened in our culture today. It's forbidden. Public school teachers are, and, and, and principals and administrators are fearful of lawsuits. Happy holidays, season's greetings has replaced Merry Christmas. And the, many advertising schemes have done this. They've deleted the Christ out of Christmas. When you go to the mall, watch how often they will say, Happy Holidays, and how infrequent someone will say, Merry Christmas. It's invaded our culture. Why was the birth of Jesus considered so significant in the first place? Why was it so significant? And why is Christmas being viewed differently today than it has been in yesteryear? This is just a few decades that this, this meltdown has occurred in our culture. What has happened to cause an event which has so influenced the modern world be slowly erased from people's thinking? I will suggest to you it is the slow fade of falling away from Christ. It's the slow fade of falling away of the centrality of the Word of God. It's the slow fade of replacing Him, replacing the Word with other things. And people are biblically literate and don't understand why we need a Savior. Post-Christian is what we are. Post-Christian America simply does not know the Bible and how this thing all began. Now, we've been through this many, many times. But just for completion, and because we inculcate, we teach by repetition, we'll go through it one more time. Adam and Eve's sin brought death and the need for a Savior, folks. It was just that simple. They were our representatives. Ezekiel. 1820 says this, the soul that sins, the soul that sins shall die. That is every one of us. Because scripture says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. There's none that does good. There's none that seeks after God. God is the one that seeks mankind. He seeks after us. We never seek after him. He's the one that draws us. We're not running to him out of because we can't. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden brought sin and death into the world. Mankind, along with the rest of creation, remember, all of creation is cursed. All of creation, according to Romans chapter 8, is, is groaning for its redemption. There'll be a time when all of creation is made right. All of it. One sin, our sin, separated us from God. In Genesis 3.15, we see the first gospel so soon in Scripture. So soon after the fall, so soon God provides a way. God said the offspring of Eve, which would eventually be Jesus, would bruise the head of Satan, referring to Christ's death on the cross, delivering a death blow to Satan. The promised hope of Christmas is that God would send his son, the second person of the Trinity, and redeem mankind from the sin curse. You know what that redeem means? You know what it means. To buy back, to be bought with a price, to pay the purchase price. What was the price? The death of the Son of God. That is how significant sin is to a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin. It has to be eradicated. It has to be taken away for us to be brought into the presence of God. And this would be accomplished by the virgin birth, as we already said, Isaiah 7.14. Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God told the prophets about the coming Savior, folks. 
The prophets told humanity. The prophets received this word about the coming Messiah and who he would be and where he would be born. The baby to be born would be a special baby, would be revered by the prophets. He was revealed by the prophets. Zechariah 9.9 says this, He would be a righteous king, and Jesus Christ is a righteous king. Micah 5.2 says his birthplace would be in Bethlehem of Judea. You know, there's another Bethlehem in the northern part of Israel. But it refined it right down to Bethlehem of Judea. That's fulfilled prophecy. He would live in Egypt, Hosea 11.10. How did he get there? Herod started killing the two-year-olds and under. Try to eliminate any competition. Another story for another time. He would enter the temple in Malachi 3.1, and he did. These are prophecies that were fulfilled right on schedule by Jesus Messiah. Prophecy proves that Christianity is the one true religion. You're on the right track when you are a Christian and following Christian principles. From Malachi to Matthew, Malachi is the last speaking prophet in the Old Testament. To Matthew, there's 400 years of darkness. 400 years where there's no word from God. There's no prophet in the land. The land is dark, and the Jewish people are saying, where is God? What is going on? But I will tell you, when you think that God is not active because you're not hearing him, think again. God was active. He always is. Even when we cannot see it, even when we cannot see it, God is moving in your life. The hand of God was actively directing the course of world events directly. God sets up kingdoms. He brings down kingdoms. Make no mistake, he is in control. Satan is the god of the small g of this age. But our God is overall sovereign and control over what's going on here. He has given limited authority. The world has been be, was being prepared for Jesus' arrival. Number one, it had a common language, Koine Greek. Koine, Koine Greek. It had a road system put in by Rome. On the world scene, ruling nations were changing. Alexander the Great did something impossible. He defeated Persia, who was a, was a giant leader. The result was the Greek language. Koine Greek was spread out through the whole kingdom of Alexander, the known world. And then Alexander died, and his, 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 army, his, his leadership was disseminated amongst four, four generals. And that very soon dilapidated or disintegrated, and Rome took over and defeated Greece. And they established a road system which allowed this message to be taken all over the known world. Oh, it was a perfect time. A, a road system at the exact right time. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. In a town of Nazareth in Galilee, an angel appeared to a young woman, Mary. His message from God was incredible. Mary, you have been chosen. Of all the women on the earth, you have been chosen to bear the the Son, the Christ child. You would be conceived. It would be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Mary must have wondered, what in the world are you talking about, Gabriel? What are you talking about? This has never happened before and never happened since. This is a one-time event. The virgin birth has been maligned, laughed at, denied throughout human history. Oh, but it's an essential part of the Christian message. Remember, only a sinless man like Adam could pay the price for our sins. The first Adam sinned and gave up deed to earth. The last Adam will die for our sins, and he will redeem earth, and he will come back and take over again. 
That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the sinless Son of God and the Son of Man, was the only one who could do this, and he did. His life for our life. John 3.16 becomes more and more valuable to you when you realize exactly what happened. God so loved the world that he gave. Think about that. He gave. The giving God gave the greatest gift ever in his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, it's an open invitation, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. The virgin birth is a must. And the God of hope chooses Mary for the virgin birth. The God of hope chooses Mary for the virgin birth. Mary's surprise heavenly visit. We read about it in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's just exposit this for just a second. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, well, what is the sixth month? Well, this is Elizabeth's pregnancy. It's her cousin's pregnancy. We see that in verse 36. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God now remember, angels don't just do things on their own. They are sent by God. They are obedient to God. To a city in Galilee named Nazareth. And again, can anything good come out of Nazareth? A little 150 person town that was just ignored in Israel. Can anything good come out of there? Nazareth, of all places on the world for Jesus' family come from, from there. To a virgin betrothed to a man, to a Parthenos, never known a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, watch this, and having come in, the angel said to her, now this is different than a vision. This is different than a dream. This is God sending the angel directly to Mary's house. And he goes into the house to talk to her. And he says these words, rejoice, highly favored one. Now, Mary, remember, is 13 to 17 years old. Can you imagine her just reeling with this spiritual being coming in? She's got to recognize him as being different. Got to recognize him as being different. And he says, highly favored one. And she's looking at herself, me? Highly favored one. I want you to realize this. There's one other place in Scripture that uses the term highly favored one. And that is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 talking about a believer in Christ. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are the highly favored one in the eyes of God. You've, ex you've experienced the grace of God. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Yahweh is with you. Jesus, Messiah, God is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, not in his presence, at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, this isn't afraid of like most, like everybody else you see in Scripture when they come in contact with an angel. What do they do? Fall down and try to worship. The angel says, get up, don't worship me, worship God. Over and over. But not Mary. Mary is just, she's disturbed by what he is telling her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. And she must be thinking, what in the world? He will be great and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And now she must be thinking, oh, 
Oh, she's a Jewish girl. Messiah. Messiah is coming. This is how Messiah is coming into the world. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Oh, yes. This is the Messiah. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, Oh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, epi upon you. And the power of the highest, the dunamis, the power of the highest, will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Don't let that escape yours. The Son of God is, is, is saying that the Son is equivalent with the Father. The Son is equivalent with the Father. Now indeed, Elizabeth, and, and just to kind of show her that this is going to happen, now Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is a miracle. Elizabeth having the son was a miracle. And this is now the sixth month who was called, the one who was called barren. And then he makes this great statement that should be, just be planted in every one of our minds. For with God, nothing is impossible. Elizabeth can have a baby when she was barren all these years. And God has told you you're going to be the way the Messiah comes into the world. Oh, with God, nothing is impossible. It will happen. You know what Mary does? She doesn't do what, 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 what Moses did and say, oh, do, do it some other way. Send somebody else. Oh, no. What Mary says, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Now, we know what a bondservant is, a doulos. Remember what a doulos is? The, the doulos is a servant whose will is completely consumed with the will of the master. Dule is a maidservant. It's the feminine. Mary's will was completely consumed with the will of God. Thy will be done, Father. That was her heart. That was her heart. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Folks, whenever you think that there's something impossible that's going to happen, Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. He's the one that's in, he's the one that's in charge. Mary was surprised. Mary was chosen. We saw the hope of Joseph. We saw the hope of humanity. We saw the hope of Mary, the hope of Christmas, just the hope of Christmas in general. The hope of Christmas is wrapped up in the good news of God's gift to the world, a baby born in Bethlehem that would save us from our sins and change the world, change the world. God gave his only begotten son, a love gift for all humanity. Jesus is our Christmas gift. We really don't need any more than him. Now, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to get arrows from the kids. You don't need, or some, you know, we need him. Christmas is about Jesus and what he did for us. It's not about the fight before Christmas. The baby, the birth, the wise men, the angels, it's all, a all the story is a warm story about the coming of Messiah, the one who would save us from our sins. And certainly Christmas is a joyous time for most people, but it's not a joyous time for everyone. The hope of Christmas is for many, again, joy and happiness, because we are experiencing God's gift in the form of Jesus coming to us. We observe this time and understand that he's the greatest gift ever given. And we celebrate, and there's this love and warmth and food and gifts and that whole thing. But there's also another story for another group of people. It's called the sorrow of Christmas for many. It's not happy. Many times people feel hopeless and people feel alone at Christmas. And that's the truth. That's the truth. They have no close family members. 
Instead, they don't feel joy at all. It's, it's an overwhelming time. Unbearable anxiety and depression. All of the hopelessness of it all. For everyone, I want you to think about this. Even if you're in that lonely group, think about this. When you feel left out, when you feel isolated, alone, remember the hope that Jesus brings into our lives. The simple gift of hope that he brings us. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Only death to look forward to. But for those of us who are in Christ, we are no longer hopeless. We are hopeful. Scripture said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Oh, Jesus is a living hope in 1 Peter 1.3. It's not a dead hope. It's not an anxious, flittering hope. It is hope, a living hope. Jesus came in the flesh as a little baby that first Christmas with purpose, that he would bear our punishment on the cross and then conquer sin by rising from the dead. Oh, he gave us the greatest gift of all, the costliest ever. Our gift of life cost Jesus his life. The first man, Adam, brought death and sin, and the last Adam, Jesus Christ, brought life. God is a life giver. If you don't remember anything that I say, God is a life giver. He sends us a rescue in the form of his son. And whoever believes in him can live forever with God. Live forever with him. Someday, we who are believers, we who have said yes to Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you've taken my sin debt, Lord Jesus. That you took the beating, the crown of thorns, the whipping, the sword in the side. You took all of my sin upon yourself. For those people, we will dwell with him eternally. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, and there will be no more sorrow or no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away, it says in Revelation 21.4. In Revelation 22.3 it says this, and there should be no more curse or no more death. Won't that be great? No more curse, no more death, no more sin, no more illness, no more mess. Loneliness and depression will be done away with forever. What a hope we have. And even if we are far away from our brothers and sisters, even if we don't have family and we feel the loneliness, Jesus is a friend that will stay with you forever. He is a friend that will stay with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says in Matthew 28, 20. Repeats that in Hebrews 13.5. Remember in the Greek? We've been through this many times. Five times that is repeated. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. He is the promise. He is the promise of the Old Testament. He is the promise to us today in Galatians. No matter how lonely we may feel, we are never truly alone because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Folks, Jesus is the hope of Christmas for everyone. Is mankind's hope. Hear this, the hope of Christmas. Someday, those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior will again spend their entire eternity with him. The entire family of God in his presence, I can't imagine it. All of us who are there, all of our family who have passed, will be reunited before the throne of God. I don't know how it's all going to look and how it's going to carry out, but I think it's going to be a great experience. Will be in his presence. If you have repented and trusted in Christ, and you will be there too. 
Surely that is the best reason to smile and have a Merry Christmas filled with hope this year. May this Christmas season be a constant reminder of what the God of hope has done for you. Filled with hope this year. That should be us. Filled with hope this year. What God has done for you. It's all about Jesus, the reason for a season. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Hope is the earnest expectation that something good is going to happen. Something good happened when God came to earth. This is the Christmas season. Let us focus on the hope of Christmas. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is the hope of our lives, folks. The greatest gift ever given. The giving God gave his Son. That's the Christmas story. The giving God gave his Son to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to go through a portion of the Christmas story. We thank you for the plan that was developed in eternity past. And Jesus really saying, I'll go. I'll go. I'll die for them. But this was determined in the Godhead. And God so loved us that he sent Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pause for just a moment to thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for being born and being like one of us. Thank you for living this out and knowing what it's like to be here. We do not have a God that is detached from us. But we have a God that has experienced life here for real. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you carried out the mission that Father gave you to live through this life, die on a cross, to raise from the dead, and, and offer humanity the gift of eternal life. We thank you, Jesus. During this Christmas season, we remember the hope of Christmas as Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.